Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a super special episode of The Nero Show featuring Joe from China Cycling. Joe's been on the ground in China for over a decade working in and around the industry for longer, which gave us a chance to talk about everything from some of the R&D happening in the Chinese factories to what the future looks like for the group sets and the frame development. So get your tin hats on because this is a good one. All right, let's get into it. I don't know about you, Jesse, but I was super keen to start with the, the R&D production side of it so joe i guess the um the main crux of this was that the idea that we see in the youtube comments and and on blog posts and things like that is that the chinese brands are essentially just stealing r&d from the western brands and then they're producing their own products so i was curious to see in your experience in terms of the engineering and the r&d how much is going on uh, offshore with these Western brands versus how much is actually done in China? I think this is one of the things that's also been changing over time. And like, uh, even I'm surprised at how quickly it's changing. Like, so 10 years ago, uh, I think most brands did like all of the R&D in-house and literally just like sent the CAD files to the factory or whatever and told the factory, like, get it done. But especially like maybe even as little as like eight, seven or eight years ago, like the factory started doing more and more of it. Now here in Shaman, like Shaman's most famous for like rim factories, like 85% of all the carbon rims in the world come out of Shaman. And uh, yeah, so in the beginning, they weren't doing much R&D themselves and whatever the brands gave them, that's what they were doing. But I think like one example we can we can look at is like carbon spokes, right? So in the beginning, you had like a mad fiber and lightweight with a carbon spoke wheels. But then maybe I think it was like five years ago, like Kdex, like re- that brand got relaunched by a Giant, right? with with carbon spokes and obviously uh a giant have all their own factories they have huge r d departments all in taiwan blah, blah 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 but like these spokes weren't actually a product of giant like they were a product of one of the factories here in shaman there's a factory in shaman like called strength and like the patent for how they make this carbon spoke like is owned by the factory not owned by giant and so yeah they had this technology to make carbon spokes and the factory has the R&D, and they license it out to Giant, who put them on Kalex wheels. But then, now you're seeing more and more of these Chinese brands that have carbon spokes because, uh, obviously, these factories are just down the road from all of these uh, from all of these brands. So I'm not going to confirm or deny which brand uses which spoke, but if you look at all of these brands that have carbon spokes now, uh, you've got the likes <laughs> of, you know, Windspace with their Lun wheels, and you've got uh, Elite with their drive wheels, et cetera, et cetera, like, uh, yeah, no, everyone can put two and two together and see what's going on with that. For me, it's it's the million-dollar question. It's like R&D because all the Western 
brands, I suppose that's what we're going to call them for, for the purposes of the next hour, like their, their selling point is R&D, R&D. We've, we've, we've had it tested by the pro teams. We've, we've done all this kind of research, et cetera, et cetera. What, so I suppose my question is what, what does R&D look like for a, for a Chinese brand as such? Yeah, uh, I think Western brands and Chinese brands, like both of these answers will have a huge scale. There are some brands in the West that I can think of that like literally, they probably don't even have an R&D department, they just have a marketing department, right? But in their yep. marketing, they'll say R&D, R&D, R&D. I think uh, lots yep. of the Italian brands you can put into that category these days, right? But then in the West, you have brands that are actually pushing the envelope on R&D, like you know, specialized. And, and also, so... Specialized is one of the few brands that make frames here in Shaman. There's a there's a factory here. So again, specialized frames on them all say handmade in Taiwan. Uh, but the factory is here. You can ask specialized that question. I can't answer why. Um, but the one thing that specialized will do different to other brands is they actually have guys in this factory 24-7 like watching the factory and making sure that the factory are doing what they should be doing. And like, you know, they have a, they have their own lab in the factory that factory employees aren't allowed to go in, only specialized employees are allowed to go in. And like, they're just making sure that the factory is doing what they should be doing. So even on so the- So that's, that's quality control as such, rather than product development, would you, uh, would you say? I think both, because like, so when they're developing a product, uh, obviously specialized in uh, Morgan Hill, California, they have the, uh, their own big like composites division, whatever. They'll make something there, but making one of something and making like 100,000 of something is obviously a totally different ball game. So- even yep. when they're developing something, like they'll make their prototype and maybe send the, the carbon fiber layup to the guys in the lab here. And then the guys in the lab here work with the factories to see, like, can we actually make this? Like, how much of a fudge factor do we have to add? Because, like, if you're just making one frame, like an ethos, I'm sure they could make like a 500 gram ethos if they wanted to. But trying to make a million of them that would, aren't going to have many complaints is a lot harder. So, like, the guys in the lab have to work with the factory and say, yo, uh, how much do we have to add to for you guys to be happy with it? Because all of these factories also have huge like uh, uh, risk as well, right? Like, because if they put out these things and they start having problems, then they're gonna have problems. So, uh, not going in, into too much boring of a an off an offshoot, but obviously all of this carbon layup is done by hand, right? You have the mold for the frame, and then you have the pieces of carbon, and literally you put in all of the pieces in there by hand. And there's a little schematic that tells you which piece to put where, blah, blah, blah. But it's all done by hand. And now I ride past these factories when they're changing shifts. And I'm not looking down on anyone or anything. But like it's all, you know, 30 and 40 year old, 40 year old like, like mothers like who are doing this. Like if, but I mean, it's, it's. Yep, that's the demographic. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's lightly skilled labor. It's not like rocket science. So I can understand. But like, you know, they're just doing a, a minimum wage job probably. Which, and they, again, another offshoot there of, uh, why why your frames are made in china it's because the labor here is cheaper right so yeah anyway they're putting all of these pieces of carbon into the into the mold if you put a piece of carbon in the wrong place by like a few centimeters and there's you haven't got that much overlap in the in the layer then that's going to be a place where the, the frame can potentially crack so when they're building up these layups of like where to put the carbon and how much overlap to put in there and stuff you have to put in like the fudge back to like if the person on the day putting this in there puts it in the wrong place you know how much of the wrong place can they put it in and it's it's impossible after you've built the frame up like you can x-ray it and stuff 
but it's gonna be super super hard to see like down to the individual layer of carbon like is every single piece of carbon in the right place so once it's all come once it's all in the mold and comes out you can't tell if it's right or not and so they'll do batch testing obviously you know they'll pull a frame off the one in every couple of hundred frames fully pull off the pull off the line and put it in the lab and test it yada yada but like you can't physically test every single frame because if you if you test every frame to where it should break you'll break the frame uh so so these r&d departments of the western companies their difficulty in my opinion is working with the factories to, to you know what what they could in in theory make and what they can realistically make like i assume well i know they have lots of like arguments with the factory because the factory doesn't want any risk the factory just wants to be able to churn these out with no uh like after sales issues or having to compensate the brand because these factories are on super small margins right like if they get x percent of duds and they have to give the money back to the brand the whole profit for this whole batch is probably gone but obviously the brand they want the lightest frame the stiffest frame blah blah blah, blah. so there'll be lots of back and forth between the brands and the factories about this and so yeah the brands that do it well the western brands that do it well have a good relationship with these factories now what happened was especially the last three years when covid hit and china basically got sealed off from the world like all of these western engineers can no longer come into the into the country and so uh these i think in my opinion it could be anecdotal but in the past few years especially like in popular races you've seen a lot more accidents happening with like handlebar snapping or steer tube snapping or blah 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 now, is this related to the fact that these western engineers can't come in and look at the factors and look what's going on again it's anecdotal and you know it, it would be hard to say for sure but in my opinion there is something to do with it i don't know okay. how much you can say about if i bring up a brand and you say you give us the tea on it so yeah go for it um that so that seeker brand uh-huh. which looks like a factor Ostro. Uh-huh. It, 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 if for all intents and purposes it is i mean look at the like what's the story there i got so many questions on stuff like that again i'm limited to what i can say but if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck it's a duck um <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all that's all answer that question uh, uh so mo- but to, to to add to that before everyone goes and buys a seeker and starts claiming they own a factor like for all of these topics are rabbit holes so for example seeker they don't just use one factory. They use multiple factories. Now, some of their models may come from the same factory that make a certain other brand's models, but then other of the models come from a different factory. So uh, there are nuances to everything, and I don't want to make broad statements that then someone starts a weight weenies post and everyone goes and buys the wrong frame or whatever. We can talk about Western what? brands too. Like, So for example, uh, I talked about the... So a- another nuance of these factories is that even not all factories are created equally, but even a factory will have sub-factories. So I've talked earlier about the specialized factory. That factory, even in Shaman, has three different sites. One of their sites is only for specialized. Everything in this factory is all produced for specialized. The other branch of the factory will produce for other brands. I've, uh, off the top of my head, let's choose a brand that's definitely not watching this video. Uh, Contador's brand, what's it called? Autrum? Oh yeah, Orum. yeah, or I'm sorry. Orum. Those frames are made in the other sub factory of this factory. So you know, people will generalize and say, "Oh, it comes from the same factory as the the S works." Yes and no. It's the same family of factories, but the physical factory is different. Now, in this factory arrangement, my understanding is 
all of the top engineers go to this factory and everyone else, when you're new to the company, you're in this factory. So there's lots of rumors going out there of, oh, this is made in the same factory as that, or that's made in the same factory as this. But you really can't generalize as that because as soon as you start going deeper under the un, under the skin, it's so much more complicated than that. And even like to the point where you see some wheels on online. Yeah. So to push back on that whole specialized factory thing, because w w where is the difference there in terms of the controller and the factory? Because even specialized, which if you've watched this video, probably sound like they'd never have an, ever have an issue. Like there was that fork recall they had when the SL7 came out. So in having such tight control over the factory, is it just that they can push the limits of the layup further? Because it doesn't seem like that's stopping recalls happening. So two things. Uh, number one, again, I can't, say, I can't say how I know and I can't prove that it's true. But for example, specialized. Every specialized frame that you see in the Tour de France is not the same as the specialized frame you buy in your shop. Specialized... If I'm wrong, write me an email. I will happily, I will happily apologize and publicly, blah, blah. like, I, but I'm calling them out for it because I think it's disgusting. Like, you sell your frames on the fact that they're raced by pros, but the 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 bikes that the pros are racing are not the same as the ones that you spend ten thousand dollars on. Like, the layup of the head tube, like on the pros bikes, is the the guy who I was talking to who's used to work at that factory. He says like. On the standard the standard edition to compare to what they lay up for the pros, there's double the amount of carbon plies on the head tube. So this is one of the reasons why you won't see many issues with specialized uh, in the world tour. Apparently, this all started with the Tom Boonen incident. Incident when Tom Boonen had his public failure, they started having a special production line for all the pro stuff. So if I'm wrong, hey, specialized, get in touch. I'll I will publicly publicly apologize. I imagine no one will get in touch because they know it's true. Um, so that's why Specialized can can get away with it because the stuff that the pros are riding is is different to what everyone else is riding. But to go back to what you... Sorry, but I think I, I missed your question a bit. What was your actual question, sorry? Uh, it was just yeah. in relation to yeah the, the fact that the tight control around the factories doesn't necessarily mean you, they're not running into issues. So I just didn't want to sound like we were saying, you know, Specialized never has any uh -huh. issues and is head and shoulders above anyone yeah, else. Yeah. It seems like it's just because they've got the, they're producing so many frames, they can invest in that sort of thing. Yeah. So, uh, again, uh, from what I just said, it sounds like I'm, I'm crapping on Specialized, but I think Specialized are one of the best Western brands, if not the best Western brands. Like, I actually, I, I like Specialized. I'm a Specialized fan. And so, as I said earlier, like, they are one of the few brands that have a huge lab and a huge team of their own guys inside the factory every day and monitoring stuff and that's why they're able to produce good quality frames like that you know you rarely have problems with again jury rider will tell you snap stereo tubes and blah 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 but when you're selling the kind of numbers that specialized are selling you're gonna have issues and uh yeah specialized are not perfect uh but no one's perfect but i think specialized do a good job of it we're gonna cover this on the show this week chris but in, on the back of that chat, the UCI is making an attempt to crack down on the pro-only uh, sort of equipment, which they're not supposed to be doing. They're going to start RFID tagging frames that have been checked and make sure that during the tour this year, they're not swapping in and out different bikes. Um, now, are they going to be able to, to, when they're doing that initial check before they tag it, 
Are they going to know if it's a special layup? I highly doubt it. But the UCI is, there was a rule that came out, I think it was a couple of days ago. So they are making some attempt to make sure the teams are complying with the equipment rules, which they everyone seems to just break at the moment. I see. But that, no, that's not an at-the-moment thing. They've been doing that for decades. Like everyone knows that, you know, Lance's, Lance's tricks weren't made in the, the same Trek factory that went out. And there was the whole thing that Ridley's, for that whole period of time, were not actually Ridley's. They were an Italian frame builder but, in in um, by what was his name um, Bottolotti or something. There was a there was a whole thing like every Ridley in the World Tour was was made by this guy. So again, not not uh, it's not a new thing, but this is obviously a new take on it. Yeah, I think it would be easy to easy if someone like Cycling Tips or whoever who go to these like. Uh, you know, they, they go in the pits of, of these races. All they have to do is take like an ultrasound meter and test the thickness of the head tube and then test one on a S-Works that you buy in the shop. And uh, like this article would, would destroy the internet. Like if someone has mm. the balls to go do that, you could destroy the internet. You would get so many hits. As if Escape Collective is going to do that. If oh. you're dreaming. Ah, wish war else. correspondence, Jesse. War correspondence. Um, so my, my only sort of thing is like, how, how does that look? Like, okay, so you were, you were saying that someone's, you know, working on these hand hand um, laying up the, the the mold every day. Like, it, what's my day look like? Am I am I working on a Bianchi in the morning and then in the afternoon I'm I'm working on a Pinarello? Like, is it, is it that kind of, is, that, is there that much crossover in, in the factory? So it'll depend on the factory, but the better factories, and this goes back to your question, the reason the specialized factory is able to make a lighter frame than another factory is because that production line, the whole week is just doing one single size of one single frame. And so... They're a lot less likely to make a mistake because literally you just put in the same piece of carbon in exactly the same place. If if in the morning you're doing a, a, a 52 centimeter and in the afternoon you're doing a 58 centimeter, like it looks the same and your brain's kind of like, oh, it goes here, but no, on the 58 centimeter it doesn't go there. And so that is one of the reasons why the specialized factory can do such a good job, and also one of the reasons why I said that factory won't look at you unless you're doing 10,000 units. Because the reason they're able to do that quality is because we're going to do 10,000 units. But this week, we're doing the size 52. Next week, we're doing the size 54, et cetera, et cetera. So you kind, you kind of touched on something there, Joe, that, that interested me, which was um, who owns the factories. And you just kind of said you, you called it a specialized factory, but specialized don't own it. They make the frames, et cetera. They probably make a couple of frames of other brands and all that kind of stuff. And I think we we all kind of know that at this point that, the Western brands don't own the frame manufacturing um, factories. They probably license certain runs and and that kind of thing. That's the frame world. We're and you know your videos recently at the at the Shanghai um, bike show, which just blew my mind, was this new wave of not just the components, but all this other product development that seemed to be going beyond just the generic uh, open mold frame stuff that we've we've got our heads around from China. So how how is that playing out on the ground? Uh, are Chinese factories uh, are they like again comes back to this R&D thing. Are they are they copying 
a SRAM group set? Like, how is this? How is this playing out? Yeah, so I think uh, a few parts to that question. And number one is that, so as we just said, like lots of the factories here, they're just a factory, and they they do the work for the for the Western brands. Another thing I want to say, like lots of people assume that most of these Chinese brands are the factory or own the factory. Most of them don't. Like uh, most of them don't own the factory. You probably don't want to buy a frame from a factory because the factory's motivations and the brand's motivations are totally different. But the advantage that the local brands have is that, you know, their kids go to the same school as the boss of the factory. So they have really good relationships. They can be on the ground there every day, et cetera, et cetera. But on the factory's point of view, all of these factories know the cost of manufacturing in China is going up and up and up. And the days of made in China cheap labor is, is, is going to end. Now, if you're a factory that's just taking specialized orders, taking Bianchi's orders, taking Santa Cruz's orders, whatever, in five years' time, you're not going to have anything because all of this is going to go to Vietnam or wherever else the next, the next place is going to be. So these past few years, the, the, the clever bosses or the switched-on bosses, they know that the, the, the clock is ticking and they need to make their own brand or invest in a local brand or have like behind the scenes own a brand without anyone knowing they own this brand because they know the, the factory game is coming to an end. And if they don't use this factory money and this factory expertise oh. to make their own brand now, it's going to be game over. And so the tricky part for the factories is, you know, if I'm a factory and I've got my OEM customers, my big brands in the West, if I bring out my own brand that's competing with them, then obviously I'm worried that they're going to get angry and cut off their orders from me. Yes, so you don't want to bite yeah. that. You don't want to bite the hand that feeds. So lots of them will yeah. will use their friends or you know behind the scenes invest in a brand. Yada yada yada. So like either from where I am, like and I'm boots on the ground and obviously know quite a few people. Like you have to ask a first to ask a first to ask a first to really know who's behind this brand or whatever. Like uh, as you alluded to the Shanghai Bike Show video, like the Bros. That, that brand Bros that came out of nowhere. And uh, like I say, on the stand, I show you that it just happens to be on the cube stand as well. Like, uh, I don't fully know what's going on there. Like, I've heard rumors. But one thing I never want to do, like, I don't want to put a rumor out there as gospel because if it's not right, then I, I'm being a bit of a... I don't know if you swear on the show, but yeah, yeah I'm being a bit of a, a turnip. Um, so yeah, it's super, super murky and I don't want to put rumors out there that aren't uh, confirmed. But yeah, basically these factories, they now know their days mm. of being a factory unnumbered. If they don't make a brand, they're going to go the way of the dinosaur. Interesting. But then to the second part of your... Have you seen that started anywhere? Like factories popping up in other in... countries for cheaper? Has that started? Are there frames uh, coming from Vietnam already? Maybe lower end carbon frames, yes. So carbon fiber production, as I understand it, uh, was, used to be big in Japan like maybe 20, 30 years ago. Then the knowledge and the expertise from Japan went to Taiwan. And then, because Shaman is the closest uh, city to Taiwan, it came over from Shaman to Taiwan, like, you know, trying to get cheaper manufacturing costs, et cetera, et cetera. And like the local government here, like, gave a bunch of tax breaks if you wanted to start a carbon factory, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, don't, I don't do too much of the factory side of stuff, but like, obviously, I have friends on that side of, on side of things. One of my friends who works in like supplying of the composites to the factories, like he says, the the amount of orders they get into Vietnamese factories these days is getting more and more. There's a there's a big factory that does uh, mountain bike frames, like because 
every factory kind of like specializes in something and then brands will go to that factory for that particular thing. There's a brand that's very famous for its uh, mountain bike frames that make for some of the biggest mountain bike brands out there. They've started to put a huge bunch of their production over to Vietnam these days. Just coming back to the, the move then away from, I suppose, frames to components, is that, I mean, that seems to be a more difficult operation, right? So I know there's the whole thing around patents and 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 some of those so sort of bits and pieces. I was watching a Trace Velo video during the week and he was referring, he was looking at a, a uh, carbon crank and it was kind of looked a lot like a, a double X1 tram carbon crank. Yep. It is there. And it, again, this is my Western bias, but is it just copying? Like, are we just grabbing a tram crank set and going, okay, boys, let's, let's see if we can do this. Like ha- how is, how is that maybe playing out? Yeah. I think both happens. Uh, there are totally people who are just absolutely copy pasting, like, and, and even making fake stuff, like putting the the legit brand's logo on a fake wheel set and saying, "Yeah, this is a Campanella Bora wheel set." Then you have like the one step down from that, where it looks like a Campanella Bora wheel set, but you just put a different logo on there, or whatever. Uh, and then you know, so you've got this whole spectrum of brands who are just happy to make fake stuff, and then brands who are happy just to copy and paste engineering. And then you have the more of the guys who'd like take inspiration from, from the Western brands or whatever. But I think, you know, I think lots of Western brands are also in this, in this pool of taking inspiration from other people. Yeah. Right. And then you have the brands who are just totally out there and trying to do more innovative stuff. So you've got this whole spectrum. Uh, if you're just doing the copy paste stuff, obviously it's the quick bucks to make because, uh, when I, like when I was at Winspace for three years, my main job was to build the brand. And like building brand takes like years and years and years. Whereas just copying and pasting someone else's brand takes like you know, three days. Like you buy in one of the products, you cut it up, you burn it to see uh, what carbon fiber is used inside. And yeah, you, you start chunking them out yourself. And another thing that happens here, like lots of people used to work at this factory and they'll quit this factory and go to learn, work at that factory. And they'll tell you all the stories of, uh, of what they used to do at their old factory. And, uh, yeah, you can you get so much gossip around here. Like the Tarmac SL8. Like I saw I saw the 3D model of that frame like last year, and then I saw photos of it inside a paint factory here about the beginning of this year, maybe. Uh, so like, because <laughs> especially for specialized, they have to produce this frame, like mass produce this frame for like six months before it goes on sales, just because the, the pure yeah. numbers are doing. And before that, they're making prototypes for years before it goes it goes on sale. And uh, so, inside their own little factory, they're in a bubble, and they can kind of keep things under wraps. But you know, loose lips. Everyone talks to everyone. Yada yada yada. And then, uh, but also like the molds to make the frames are often done by another factory. And this factory, like, they'll make the molds for the mold factory makes the molds for the carbon factories. And one mold factory. Because this mold factory will be famous for making good carbon bike frame molds. So all of the carbon bike uh, factories will use this mold factory. So if you get talking with the guy in this mold factory, he'll show you all those all those files on his computer, no problem. And so uh, you don't even need to be inspired by another brand when you can you can see what the big brands are bringing out like uh, before it comes out. Like if they wanted to, a Chinese brand could literally bring out. A Tarmac SLA before Specialized brought out a Tarmac SLA. I have no doubt in my mind. 
Well, this was like, I don't know how much you know a little bit about what what I'd said I'd done in the past with, with Devel, that the, the Filipino brand that we had with the, with the team in the last couple of years. And they were, you know, trying to develop these new new bikes and they wanted to use their own moulds. And it was just that. They would go to the these mould guys and they were offered, you know, do you want the, the Cannondale mould? Do you want this mould? And it was like, no, no, we, we actually do want to develop our own mould. And they kind of looked at him like he was an idiot. Like, <laughs> why, why, would you, why would you do that? It's so hard for a new brand to get started because if you, if you want to use the best factories, the best factories won't look at you if your order numbers are less than 10,000 units, right? And then if you want to use, uh, if you want to make the best bike, then you, you're going to have to make, like in a, in a perfect world, every size of bike would have its own front fork to perfectly match the geometry with a rake and stuff. Now, even specialized with their like infinite, quote, infinite budget and R&D, like I think for the Tarmac, they only have two different molds or three different molds for the front fork. I think back in the day of the LA Sprint, which is like my favorite bike ever. So everyone thinks I'm anti-specialized or whatever, but like I think specialized make good bikes, no problem. But like on the LA Sprint, like the old one, I think every size of fork, every size of frame had its own fork, for example. But the, the tooling cost for this is is astronomical and just the, the, the labor to do it is astronomical. So as a smaller brand, there are so many things that you can't do that the bigger brands can do that it's really hard to just get a new brand going these days uh, yeah. and, and that's just the production side of thing like oh shit the marketing side of thing you know if you want to go sponsor a world tour team or whatever you're competing with specialized marketing budget and canyon's marketing budget and whatever else and your marketing budget is just going to be tiny compared there so i think the the bike industry as a whole isn't very uh isn't very welcoming to new brands like the there are high barriers to entry and also just because of the design itself you're so limited like You've got two triangles to per, to play with, and like a bunch of UCI rules. So, wh- what are you going to do? Like, what about what about these group sets? Because I, I feel like this is this is the next the wave potentially, hopefully, that free, freeze. Maybe we dream of the prices dropping yeah. from the mainstream stuff. Like, what what is what is what are the barriers to these Chinese group sets cutting through? Ironically, especially for like L2, L2 is the big one on everyone's lips these days, right? I've got L2 on this bike behind me uh, and the boss of L2, I said in my video before, like he's ex-SRAM engineer, but after he, he left SRAM, he had like six years working as a patent lawyer. So like his expertise is how does SRAM make stuff and how do I get around SRAM's patents is basically his expertise. And so uh, lately they have the electronic group set that's about to come out. Again, that's a, another tangent looking at that, why that's taken so long. But like when I was looking at it, there were so many things in it that I was like, why did you do this? Like, so when you click the shifter, there's a little LED that comes on so you can see how much battery is left, like on the shifter, like SRAM has that, whatever. And like they put this, they put the LED like inside the button. So you can just barely see the light coming out of the crack between the button. And like outside, you can't see it at all. Like in a dark room, you can barely see it. I'm like, why did you do this like what brain which which guy did this like like no sram has the patent on having an led on the outside of the shifter so we have to put the led in a place that you can't see the led and it's just like uh fair play i mean they're they're, they're doing this like 
patent gymnastics to get around all of these patents and stuff. And then, but then for, for real, you have other brands like Wheel Top, the guys who brought out like the, the, the fake SRAM Eagle group set uh, mm-hmm. a, a year ago or so. Um, they are more copy paste engineering, let's say, like, and so they've recently updated their design because I think the SRAM lawyers went knocking on their door. They used to have removable batteries on the derailleur, the same as a SRAM do on the Axis stuff, but SRAM has a patent on that. So the SRAM lawyers went knocking on the door. They've now updated it and the batteries are built into the derailleur and they say, oh, it's for better waterproofing. But no, it's totally because they got a knock on the door from uh, SRAM's lawyers. Uh, as far as I know, also Sensor, who are the other one, uh, three years ago or two years ago, they got fined or they settled out of court with Shimano. I think it was about 600,000 US dollars is what they paid. And if you think about how cheap these guys are knocking out group sets for, like you got to shell a lot of group sets to make that $600,000 back. So um, I think like five years ago, four years ago, Sensor were kind of like flying under the radar. Like uh, they were like heavily inspired by SRAM and Shimano stuff. Again, the head of Sensor is also ex-SRAM, if I'm not mistaken. But like they were, they were such low quantities, and the big brands were just like you know untouchable, so they didn't pay any attention to them. But once they, once their production units got up, um, yeah, the SRAM, SRAM or Shimano come knocking on your door and asking, asking for a payday. So, guys like, El- but why is, why is that an issue for group sets? Like, it seems like frames just do whatever the hell you want, wheels do whatever you want, but for some reason, group sets, it's like the 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 sacred cow and you yeah can't i think copy. because any a, a insight patent on that? is more again i'm not a, an engineer or a paint lawyer or anything but i think a painting a lot of it is more about like how it works right whereas a frame how does it work it's a frame like this there's, there's there's very little in the in, that you can patent on a frame uh let me think of some frame patents that exist uh yeah i mean you know the, the because of the uci rules whatever the, the actual design of a frame has been so unchanged for like 20 years that there's there's not much you can patent on there, but apparently you can patent putting an LED on the outside of a shifter. Right. In wheels, you also have lots of patents, like um, yeah, I can't remember what company you'll call it, with like the the spokes, right? So they have their their spokes where they bunch the spokes together on the rear wheel or whatever. I can't remember what they call that. Yeah. They had a patent for yeah. that. I know mm-hmm. they sent a few lawyers letters to some of the Chinese brands who were putting that on their wheels. And then also it's like that three spoke. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember what it's called, mm. but like the, the non-uniform nah. distribution of the spokes, they had a painting on that. Yep. Radial, I think it's radial lacing, is just lacing when, isn't it? Uh, when the the spokes that's are sort of, crossed. Yeah, that's the style. Uh-huh. Yeah. They have a they have a catching. Oh right, okay. And yeah. another one that I think everyone knows in wheels is like DT Swiss's patents, right? So the DT Swiss star ratchet system, uh, the the old one used to have. I always get this wrong way around. The old one used to have one spring. And that patent has now expired. So now you're seeing a lot of these Chinese wheels that have their DT's Swiss ratchet style instead of the poles. So also when this patent expired, DT Swiss brought out a new style of ratchet ring, which has two springs. So I can't remember which round it is. It used to be one spring and now it's two springs, or it used to be two springs and now it's one spring. But either way, like you can find an interview on cycling tips or something where like the head of DT Swiss engineering himself says the new design is inferior to the old design. But they had to do it just so they could paint it. Um, so yeah, I think that's yeah. in things that are more mechanical, you'll see a lot more patent issues. 
Whereas because a frame or a, a frame just like sits there and bees a frame, there's a lot less you can patent on there. Um, so yeah, that's what's taking these components more time to get going with the with the the Chinese group sets just because of all this patent minefield that they're trying to work their way through. One of the topics that we were sort of talking about last week was our ignorance when it came to the domestic Chinese road cycling market and and how that is impacting or is going to impact these Chinese brands like their production who they who they are um, pushing their their product out towards so I suppose like that's my first question is what is what is the, the domestic road cycling scene in in China yeah so again this is so whatever you're talking about China things are changing so quickly like this decade especially like you know everyone Everyone sees that on the news about any aspect of China, but like it's the same for cycling. So when I came to China like 15 years ago, like no one had a, okay, I say no one, basically no one had a road bike. Like the guys who had bikes would ride like uh, hard tail mountain bikes, but like ride them on the road because like maybe because the roads was, to- was so bad quality or whatever, that's what they thought they had to do. Now, like roads, road cycling uh, has only really started to take off, I'd say in like the past like five or six years, maybe. Uh, to the point where you now you have like on a group ride you have maybe more guys riding road than you have riding mountain bikes or though and so yeah as you as you said it's a it's a totally different world uh with its own like subcultures and its own social media trends and its own brands and its own even its own like disciplines of the sport uh so i don't know which which side of this to dive in from but i guess we can start with like in China, road cycling, especially these days, is kind of like a, a status symbol sport. So it's kind of like golf in the West. Like you know, if you're if you're a richer guy, you know, oh, I'm gonna go play golf. It's the same thing now. Like if you send a photo of you you at, at Starbucks or whatever with your nice Colnago uh, road bike or whatever, like you know, you're you're a baller. But then like I guess you definitely have like two subgroups or two main subgroups. I'll say like. You have the, the you have the posers who are, who are doing this, and again, nothing against them. If that's what you want to do, this sport is for everyone. I, I don't gatekeep. You can do whatever you want. If you're on a bike, if you're, if you're having fun, go for it. Don't let me stop you. But like, so there's this group here of like the posers, but then you also have the group of like the hardcore racers, like, uh, and and those guys like are just in it for the for the speed. And there's a good race culture in China. Well, I say good. I don't think it's very healthy, but it, it's interesting. So the race culture in China is. All of the local cities will throw on uh, races. So, because I just said a road bike or road racing is like a prestige sport, so a city wants to make itself look like a, you know a, a quality city. They want to show off and of how good they are. So, all of these cities will host races. They'll seal off like blocks of the city, and they'll have huge, huge prize money for people to come and race. So, it's usually like a crit. Uh, I guess it's not kind of great. Usually, like they'll they'll block off huge chunks of the city, like a seven or ten kilometer lap of the city, um, and they'll they'll put huge prize money to attract more people to come. And also, foreign riders. Uh, I think you guys mentioned this in a previous video. Like, you know, they'll send invitations to like UCI Conti teams all around the world. Like, you know, we'll pay for your hotels, we'll pay for your plane tickets, any prize yep. money you get to keep it. Yada yada yada. And because. Yep. Because it's this like prestige sport and these cities want to have a prestige event. 
But the, the, the flip side of that is there's no cat system in China. So when you sign up to a race, you can choose which category you want to enter. You can choose the men's elite or the open category or whatever category you want to go in. And uh, but because the, the prize money is so crazy, it's the same teams and the same riders going to every race in the country. And like China is geographically is absolutely huge. Like I'm in Sha- yeah, I'm in Shannon, which is like the the southeast. To go from here to like Xinjiang in the in the northwest is like a seven hour flight or something. It's crazy. So you have these same guys going around the whole country to to mop up this prize money. Uh, and even like even these smaller races, you know, maybe first place is getting like uh, around two thousand US dollars in a small race. And so for these this racer crowd, it's that they're pro racers, but they're not pro racers. Like, and what do I mean by that? So lots of these lots of these races have in the rules. If you're a UCI registered cyclist, you're not allowed to enter the race. So this is supposed to be a rule to give everyone a chance, but. The upside of it is that there are these pro racers who are not pro racers. They just don't have a job and ride the bike all day, but they don't have a contract for the team. They just, they ride for a team, but they'll just go with this team to every race and just mop up this prize money like it's, like it's going out of fashion. These, um, so these, these races you were talking about, where do they live on social media? What are they, in, are they famous? Like how many followers are these um, riders do they have on their yeah. local Social good question. So the, the social media online. part of it also has like two kinds of influencers. Because um, uh, lots of things in China are like how they were in the West like a decade or two ago. And I'm, that's a huge generalization. Don't pitchfork me in the comments. Uh, but like in, including like advertising. So advertising and marketing in China is, is a lot more of like sex sells. Like it's, it's a lot it's a lot more like it was in the West like decades ago. And so on social media, you have two kinds of influencers. You have a whole bunch of these female influencers who uh, ride the bike with like an inch thick makeup and probably just ride like two kilometers and take a million photos. And they have millions of followers on Douyin. And, uh, you know, they'll they'll post videos. What was that? They'll have million photos. On a, oh, sorry, Douyin. It's, it's, it's the Chinese name for TikTok. Sorry. Yeah, so TikTok, ah. there's actually two versions of TikTok. There's the TikTok that you are all blessed with in the West. <laughs> and, then the, <laughs> and then there's Douyin, which is its Chinese name, which is exactly the same app, but like one's made for the Chinese audience, one's made for the overseas audience, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, Thank these, you. Thank these, you for clarifying. These female influencers on Douyin have millions of followers, but like, are they, like, again, I'm not gatekeeping. If that's what cycling is to you, all yep. power to you, et cetera, et cetera. But to answer Jesse's question, the other part of social media is like the racer guys. Um, oh, now I'll change. I'll, there are three types. There's the the female, like, look at me, I'm pretty uh, influencers. There's the race influencers. And then there's the armchair engineer influencers. And there are a lot of the armchair engineer influencers. Um, Interesting. I, what? Like there's like a, an Asian Hambini there's a, there's or an something. There's an Asian Hambini. <laughs> there's, a, there's an Asian Jerry oh, okay. rider. Like there is... There is literally like an Asian version of every YouTuber, you know. And so it's a funny, it's a funny game we have in the office here, like trying to describe these local influencers as like their their biggest equivalent in the in the West. Um, like, 
Someone go on Photoshop and do up some. No, don't. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty funny. That There's a guy who's a silica jury writer, and like he came out with some random beef with me because his thing, he's like a, he's like jury writer, but he's anti jury writer. He hates Chinese brands. And so when I started working with Winspace and did like the Winspace factory tour video, like he started like having huge beef with me, saying like I was super corrupt and like I was taking huge amounts of money to make this content. And it was crazy. So yeah, like it's. Uh, that was so on what Billy platform Billy. is that on? So Billy Billy is like Chinese YouTube. It's more for longer length videos. Uh, and yeah, it's more about like the culture and the comment section. And uh, yeah, like maybe it's, yeah. Billy Billy is like YouTube. And then Douyin is like TikTok. Basically everything that you know and love in the West has its equivalent in China. That's, equivalent. that's the same, but different. Like Instagram, we have <laughs> this something called like Xiaohongshu. Like the, the English name is just red. And yeah, that's basically the same as, as Instagram. Uh, so yeah, this is this is subculture. But back to the the racists. So do you upload? Do you upload to Billy Billy, uh, so or do you I just upload to YouTube? Yeah, yeah. So do you do local thing, content? Yes, I do, but it's a, a bit different. So uh, it's a bit different for a few reasons. Again, this is a, a rabbit hole. I'll try to keep it as quickly as I can. So number one, the way. <laughs> In, in China, in theory, you're not even allowed to ride a road bike on the road. If there is a, a path, you're supposed to ride on the path. Now, the, the traffic cops, like in most places, they don't mind so much. But if you're in a big, big city like Shenzhen or Shanghai, like if you ride your bike on the road, like during any time of the day, the, the traffic police will set up a trap because they know there are group rides in the morning and they'll block one end of the street when a hundred cyclists come in, they'll block the end of the street and they'll give everyone like a ticket for like $50 fine for riding the bike on the road. So why does this come back to me? Lots of my videos, I'm riding the bike on the road to do a review. And I don't want some, I don't want some smart ass to report me to the police for riding my road, for riding my, uh, my bike on the road. Especially these days, like I'm doing some reviews of some, uh, e-bikes just because, you know, you gotta pay the bills. Uh, not review, sorry. Quick looks. I don't review for cash. <laughs> uh, but anyway, these these bikes are totally illegal in China because they've got way too much power and stuff. So I don't put those videos on Billy Billy because some smart ass will report me to the police and stuff. But uh, also in China, like the state of reviews is is pretty pretty bad. Like people do reviews that they're paid money to. Basically, they're given a script. They're given a script by the brand and they're told to read the script and make the video and let me check the video before you put it up and yada, yada, yada. But then the, the uploader, the creator will say it's a review and it's like totally not a review. And so that's, that's just how it is here in China. Like, and people watching the video, they know this, they're aware of this. So when someone does a review of something in China and says, this is good, no one believes it. And so then if I put my videos on you, on Billy Billy, where I'm saying, oh, this thing has advantages and disadvantages, people's minds are blown. Like they're like, it must be really bad if you're saying it's got disadvantages. I'm like, no, it's not really bad. Everything has disadvantages. So <laughs> it's just an actual opinion. Uh, yeah. It's getting better. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm generalizing. Like on Billy Billy, there are uploaders who do like real reviews. But in general, the the consensus is that a review is paid for, and therefore you don't really trust what they say. And that the the two things about this is for me on my on my YouTube, like I have a rule. If it's a review, I won't take any money. Uh, 
every YouTuber has different rules. So part of my job when I was at when I was at Windspace was dealing with YouTubers from around the world. So every every cycling YouTuber you've ever seen review Windspace, which is quite a lot of them, uh, they've all dealt with me. And so I know that every YouTuber also has different rules for what is ethically acceptable. And I, this is a whole other podcast that I'd love to go into one day, but maybe not today. Like the ethics of YouTube reviews and influencers and discount codes and affiliate links and yada, yada, yada. But to get back to where we were, yeah, my content on Billy Billy, I don't push it too hard just because my YouTube content doesn't translate that well to the market here. And another flip side of that is the Chinese brands, they assume overseas influencers are the same as Chinese influencers. So they assume when they send you a product to review, they can send you a script. Can I ask about Winspace? Because I touched on this last week about how you know Winspace is yeah, as the, the picture child of um, an internet brand, influencer marketing and that sort of thing. How big did Winspace get? Are they making, are they competing with Western brands in terms of revenue? Did it really work? Uh, so two sides to this, like number one, I don't work for Winspace anymore. So like, um, there are, there are certain things I'm allowed to say and not allowed to say. Uh, and number two, uh, I don't want to give all my competitors my secrets because part of my gig now is that I'm helping other Chinese brands to, to do, to do, uh, some marketing stuff, but a hundred percent it does work. Like the numbers. So obviously in marketing circles, everyone likes to talk about ROI, like, you know, you spend a buck and what do you get back? YouTuber influencing is through the roof like the roi is unbelievable like absolutely unbelievable um and to answer your question about are they competing with western brands it depends what western brand but again as i said 85 percent of all carbon rims come out of factories in shaman uh, i've been in most of those factories i know the bosses of most of those factories they will happily tell you how many rims each brand is ordering per year so I know basically every Western brand, how many wheel sets they sell per year. Um, if you, if last year, uh, or let's say 2022, you put every single wheel brand in order of, uh, wheels sold, uh, or let's go for revenue. Let's make it harder for every single wheel brand in, in, in revenue of how much money they made. Winspace would be top 10 for sure. Wow. Wow. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. yeah. Like, so, okay. sorry. It, top 10. Okay. Like, uh, oh, oh, a one, marketing budget. Now, you don't have to give number necessarily, but no, like no, no. a Winspace marketing budget then, like, w are we talking, would you be spending as much as a Western brand? 10% of a Western brand to, to have cracked the top 10? Like, what's the, like, what's the outlay from a marketing perspective? to crack that top 10 in comparison. Do you know? Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, it's quite funny. So despite us being like a, a Chinese brand, like we also do some OEM stuff and then also yeah, yeah, like just yeah. in, industry contacts, blah, blah, blah. Like, so I also have people who do my job, but for Western brands too, who, who, mm -hmm. who are friends and like, you know, we exchange notes and just like, again, it's a whole different world and a whole different game that each of us are playing. But like we're both, I'm equally... I learned, like I'm interested in their world and they're interested in mine too. So like I do have some data, uh, but like to go back to the start, like when I first started for Win at working for Winspace, the first batch of hypers like that I wanted them to build up, I was like, build me 60 pairs of hypers. Like I will sell these. These wheels are amazing. Build me 60 pairs. And like they're like, 
I don't think you're going to be able to do it. Like they're like, we'll give you thir- we'll give you thirty and see how you get on. I'm like, no, just give me sixty. Come on, no, I couldn't win that argument. They gave me thirty. And like, okay, within within a week or two, they were all sold because this was like before it really really took off. And then okay, I'm like, okay, next batch, give me eighty. And like, oh no, we think you were just lucky. We'll give you we'll give you like forty, blah blah blah. And so, but every single batch is starting to come in and just get sold out. And then so in like 2020 and 2021, when it really starts to take off, like after Hambini and Peak Talk, especially like they were singing the praises of the wheels, like a batch of wheels would come in, like 300 wheels, we'd put them up on the website and would be gone in half a day. Like just, just gone. Like I'd send out an email newsletter saying the wheels are back in stock. And by the time half the people opened that email, like they were out of stock. And there was, uh, yeah, just the, the, the number of how many wheels in each batch just kept doubling and doubling and doubling. And like the production department were like, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is crazy. Like it's getting me regret. And so at the same time, during this happening, uh, the marketing budget didn't need to go up that much because, you know, as soon as you put them uh, on the website, they sell out. And I, so I kept ordering bigger and bigger and bigger batches. Like it was up into the, into the thousands. Um, but like the production physically couldn't keep up, like not enough molds, not enough wheel builders. And so there's a few months period where like, uh, every month I'm like, where's my, where's my thousand wheels? Oh, next month, next month. Okay. The next month comes, when's the thousand wheels? Oh, next month, next month. And then one month, like the, the 2000 wheels, like all suddenly arrived and they started building them up very quickly and put them in the warehouse. And like, I had zero marketing prepared. I was like, uh, okay, now, now I'm in a bit of trouble. And so that's when I really had to start like, okay, turning up the, turning up the gas and like spending some money. But in the early days, like the marketing budget was basically zero like there was no when i joined winspace there was no marketing department in that company like literally no marketing department um and then at the end their marketing budget was like uh i'll say less than a million dollars but within into the hundreds of thousands of us dollars but okay in comparison uh oh. back to sponsoring a world tour team is probably mm. like half yeah. a million just in in one in they, one they, shot, they'll they'll spend that on one or two riders in a team, let know. alone a full budget. Which yeah, okay, that that brings up a question. So, is there a a desire for for some of these brands to to be in the world tour? Is that something that they see as um, wanting to be a part of, or like why bother? You're selling a heap of a heap of stuff without even having to go down that route. So. If I go back to the the example we we're just talking about, so while they're in the top ten of of wheels, the difference between number one and number ten is probably quite big, like maybe orders of magnitude big. Because so we three guys and everyone watching this video is a bike nerd who watches bike videos on YouTube like every day. So for us guys, I, I'm assuming like eighty nine percent of people watching this video are part of Windspace and like maybe even know a guy who rides one space. But if you go onto a random group ride with like some quote unquote normal cyclists who don't spend all day on, on YouTube, maybe there's, I don't know, it's some of the surveys and market research I did, like only like 20 or 30% have heard of one space. So there is this, the, the majority of cyclists aren't like us and spend every living day like on uh, cycling tips or cycling news or escape collective or whatever, just like, devouring this stuff like the vast majority of hoovering hoovering (laughs) the vast majority of cyclists 
uh, are in like the mainstream bubble, let's say. And so to get into this mainstream bubble, YouTube isn't going to get you in there. Like you can, you can sponsor every YouTuber in the world, but if the guy doesn't watch YouTube about bikes, you're never going to reach him. And so to get out of this like YouTube niche bubble, you need to start doing things like either going into traditional media, like on cycling tips or okay, GCN is YouTube, but we can, we can say that more mainstream cyclists are watching GCN or whatever. And then, okay, sponsor some, some race teams. Like this is to get to more, to more mainstream cyclists, but even like pro cycling, like you sponsor a world tour team in this day and age, how many people are watching world tour racing that are then not watching about bikes on YouTube? Like, I think this has got to be a very small niche of people who like watch world tour racing, but don't go on YouTube about bikes, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, that's see, that's my take, and that's kind of the chat that we were having last week, which was from from my take on it was less about the relevance, the importance of the world tour, and more about the accessibility of the product for the for the consumer to be not just a, an AliExpress purchase. Mm-hmm. And this, I suppose, is where Panda Podium comes in from your end, and I want to talk a little bit about that, but. You know, my, my take is that for it to to get beyond the if you know, you know crowd, right, the, the us, to get it to that next level of person, it needs to be at a, a local distributor, a local shop, not necessarily a retail shop, a, a local online store, or at least a store that has cachet or a distributor that has cachet beyond the if you know, you know crowd. Um. So enter Panda Podium, really. That's, is that where you see Panda Podium coming in, like to be the, the one-stop shop for all these brands to make it relevant to the not necessarily the if-you-know-you-know know crowd? Yeah, so the, like the, the ethos of Panda Podium is like trying to lower the barrier to entry to get your hands on this uh, Chinese-like stuff, right? So... The biggest barrier to entry is being able to sort the goods from the crap, right? Because you go on AliExpress, like you say, and you have nine, like, even just you're looking for one product, there's like 10 sellers selling the same thing, but like the prices vary wildly. So why does this one cost twice as much as this one? And then you go into the description to find out why. And it's like the worst translated thing ever. Like, oh, this one has the half moon shaped crescent back teardrop. <laughs> effect on the <laughs> basalt breaking surface you're like uh, is, is that nice. what I, is that yeah. what i want um, and so yeah the bar at the moment there's this huge like barrier to entry of getting into chinese bike stuff uh the first barrier to entry is being able to sort out the good from the bad and so the simple way that i'm gonna or panda podium aims to solve that is number one we don't put bad stuff on there like uh we have a bunch of cyclists here me and myself obviously like we ride it before we sell it. Like now, the problem with that, like I can only ride one set of wheels for like X thousand kilometers. Like I can't guarantee that every single set of wheel from this brand will be amazing. So, you know, I have to rely on doing some research and seeing, oh, they've sold X, they've already sold X thousand pairs in China. And let me go ask some bike shops, like how the feedback is on these wheels, blah, blah, blah. Mm. So this is kind of like mm. the what I have to do before I put a product on the website. And then, okay, I'm, I'm confident that this is a, a product that you're not going to have a problem with. Then to add to that, like there's going to be 
a whole community side to the, to the website where after you buy a product, obviously you can, you can read a, leave a review. But I'm going to have like a kind of like a Rotten Tomatoes thing where like there'll be professional reviewers' reviews on there. And there'll also be like mm-hmm. customers' reviewers' reviews on there. And another thing, like when you buy something, you bring it back, you, the customer can weigh it and you can put the weight in on the website. And there's going to be a nice bell curve of like actual real world weights because one thing that Western brands do as well, but especially on AliExpress, like they'll tell you this wheel set is like 1200 grams and you'll get it back. It was like 1350 and they'll be like, oh, it's because it's got tubeless tape on it. I'm like, that's some heavy tubeless tape you got on it. So <laughs> I want, I want everyone to be super transparent of like if this thing is good or not. And also like how much does it actually weigh and, uh, and all stuff like this. So yeah, Panda Podium is about like lowering that barrier to entry. And then obviously another side what of it- What do you it, reckon you're going? Go on, Joe. Yeah. And then so another side of it is obviously just the service because uh, it's it's quite funny. I've never actually bought anything from AliExpress because they don't ship to China. And I'm just in China, so I don't need AliExpress. <laughs> but like uh, Grant from GC Performance, right? He was on the show like a couple of weeks ago. He brought the L2 group shirt that, that's behind me from a seller for like 400 yep. bucks and it just never showed up. And like he was arguing with the seller and blah, 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 blah. But like AliExpress, the platform, they will they will side with the seller. They won't sell with the buyer, sell with the buyer. So like in the West, most of our platforms, you know, we always favor the buyer. Like you know, PayPal gives you your buyer protection or whatever. But AliExpress was just like, no, F you, man. And like, so he, he really kicked up a storm. And I think in the end, they offered him like half a refund. So he paid four hundred dollars. It never showed up. He got a two hundred dollar refund, and he's two hundred dollars out of pocket for his uh, for his thing. But Trace Fellow, obviously, uh, he loves AliExpress, and I've talked to him about this, and he says his experience with AliExpress is like nothing but nothing but sunshine and roses. So I don't know if someone who works at AliExpress has like put his name into like the back end of the system, <laughs> and no matter which seller he orders with, like they get a phone call saying, "Make sure you send it properly." Um, because yeah, what do you reckon, Jesse? Is this the, is this the end of the bike shop? It's like to me, you know, that's ticking all the boxes for you, isn't it? That's what you want out of out of your retail experience at this point, isn't it? Pretty much. I mean, I've bought. I've never had an issue from well, the shipping from AliExpress. It's just as you say, the products and the titles like three sentences long, and you don't really know if it's going to be any good. Um, but yeah, pretty much. It sounds exactly like what I'd be into. Um, yeah, it was. I think at, at the moment, like the 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 site is definitely going to be more for the bike nerd, right? Because um, you know that's that's the crowd that I that I'm a part of, and that's the crowd that my audience are a part of, and that's the crowd that I understand. So the site is designed for like bike nerds primarily, but a goal of the site is to get non-bike nerds also the opportunity to. To buy a bike that you can win a race on that doesn't cost ten thousand dollars, like that is the ultimate goal of the site. We we started we touched a bit on this um, last week where we were kind of getting a little bit shitty of around local distributors, almost like starting to begin to price gouge those Chinese brands, um, you know, and and having them kind of shit all over them for the last decade, and now turning around and and saying that they're, oh, not only are they good, but we're gonna you know dump an extra bit of um, margin onto the onto the end of it. Like, is so from the the pandaponium perspective, like, are you going to be uh, competing against then those 
those local distributors, do you think? Like, is there going to be exclusivity stuff or? Yeah, good question. So first and foremost, like um, by no means anti-bike store, like we've all, we've all had bike stores get us out of trouble. And I like, you know, I, I, I used to be, maybe I used to be more anti-bike store, but then I started watching GC performance. I'm like, if my local bike store was like grand, like I'd love my local bike store. But the reality is that- Well, you're also selling bike parts. Anyone buying your parts is going to need a local shop uh -huh. unless they're Trace Velo spending six hours a day building it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to have to get on board. 100%. Um, but, you know, this is the same with, you know, Wiggle or Chain Reaction Cycles or whatever. Like, you know, they're selling components. Either the guy's installing himself or he's, he's taking it to a local box, bike store. But yeah, but no mean, by no means am I anti-bike uh, shop. Sorry. And like, uh, I think there's a place for them in the industry. Um Back to your question about am I competing with them? Like, I think it's a different kind of person. So one thing that I've always thought, the kind of cyclist who goes into a bike shop and says, I've got $1,000, what wheel set do you recommend? This kind of cyclist is like a more traditional cyclist. Like, they didn't do their research. They don't know about what's what, blah, 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 blah. This kind of traditional cyclist, they're probably not going to accept a brand that they've never heard of anyway. Like... Yeah. So if the, if the bike boss says this traditional guy, and he's traditional, so he won't buy his wheels online, especially he's shipped from China. Like, what kind of black magic is that? Like, no, I go to my local bike store and I ask for a pair of wheels. So this guy who's super traditional, like, he's not going to accept a, a Chinese brand anyway. So I think these Chinese brands, their difficulty that they're facing is getting into these local shops because more and more we're seeing more contemporary or modern cyclists like buy most of their stuff online anyway now if you buy it online why not buy it online from china yeah yeah with, with the um the, so the thing that always gets me and i think it, that holds back the whole going going mainstream kind of thing is that you are always sourcing parts how far off are we from being able to buy a complete built bike is it not going to happen? Uh, so, like, and the podium. Uh, obviously, I have a, like a roadmap of what of, of what's coming, and yeah, for sure, like my dream, my dream, 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 and like this is not coming soon. So bear with me. But yeah, the dream is basically you go on the website, and there's a, like a huge bike customization tool, right? Like, choose your frame, choose your wheels, choose this, and you spec your bike. And in real time, it's telling me like the weight of the bike, what what it's going to weigh. And in real time, it's telling you like what's compatible with what. Because like all of this stuff, I mean, you guys, I think Jesse, especially, you know, when you first got into building bikes, you're like, wait, what works with what? You know, 20 years ago, it was maybe pretty simple. But these days, like different bottom bracket standards and different group sets, like for the end user, you have to do so much research before you even start building mm -hmm. your bike. Um, you know, the first time I built a bike, I didn't know that it sounds stupid. I didn't know that seat posts had different diameters. So like my frame was 27.2 and I brought a 31.6. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the thing. Um, so yeah, I, this is a huge barrier to entry. And again, one that I want Panda Podium to try uh, get rid of down the line. And if you look back to Canyon, so Canyon got to where they are without bike shops, right? So if you can, if you could imagine, and I don't, I don't care if someone does this quicker than me, like all, all credit to you because this will be, this will be the real killer. Like if you imagine the Canyon shopping experience and the, the just the Canyon quality, but you can choose any brand's frame and you can choose any components and you can fully customize it. Like 
that'll be the that'll be the game changer. Now that's my goal. Mm. If someone gets there before me, fair play. Uh, but we shall see. Five years? Uh, I think like two or three. If I'm like China's fast, wow. China moves fast, and wow. uh, yeah, we'll we'll see what we get. Like, but again, I'm not trying to take over the world. Like, uh, I'm not. Mm. I'm not. <laughs> of course, I, the business exists to make money. But if I wanted to make money, I would have quit Winspace and just started my own wheel brand or started my own frame brand and just pumped out a bunch of wheels and lived happily ever after. So like, it sounds airy-fairy, but even when I started the channel, the, the goal of my channel, China Cycling, was just to get more cyclists on a bike. That then, I, I never want a cyclist to lose a race because they couldn't afford a good bike. And that was, that yeah. was what the YouTube channel was about, and that's what Panda Podium's about too. Okay, so this has been a Chinese brand love-in up until now. Uh, no, I don't know. Look, obviously the, the, the narrative of the whole thing is that we're, we're all super positive about it and you know, it's hard to, to cut against your motto there, Joe. Like that's, that's pretty, pretty awesome to hear. That's, that's the driving focus behind it. But all right, let, let's play devil's advocate for a moment. Like let, let's say that in 20 years' time, um, these Chinese brands totally dominate the market, okay? Um, we have, you could say, we have turned over our entire industry to a country that many of our Western nations view as a dangerous player on the, the world space as it as it plays out. Like, is, is that... A danger. Maybe this is a question for you, Jesse. Like, I is that something that we should think about? Like, if Beijing control the entire cycling industry, will we basically just not be in the same position in twenty years' time with the monopoly of not only production but also ownership? I mean, there's a discussion here. I just firstly geopolitics and whatever else is certainly not my strong point but the only thing i would say is even like before getting into that is like we are so far down the line in that already in terms of so much of what we buy is already there china is or at least in australia is already one of our biggest if not the biggest trading partner it seems like a weird line to draw to be like, I'm not sure if I want to spend my bike money in China because pretty much everything else we buy is from China anyway. So I don't even really know if I want to just sort of well, go down the rabbit hole of it because it's already – the decision's been made. China yeah, trading I, I, I agree. And the, the, the thing I suppose I don't know enough, I don't know enough about any of this, but in terms of – okay, we're, it's all being made in China anyway at this point. We're just That's a stamped situation. Um, in terms then of, okay, let's say a brand like Scott or something like that, right, which we were talking about the other week. Scott, all their stuff made in China, but they are still a Swiss company. Like eventually, you're right, Are we, we've already gone sort of enough down that route that potentially this is an argument that's not even kind of worth having. I don't know. Like a, well, that's kind of it's like you already. So the, I, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying. It's like, well, at the moment, twenty percent of the money we spend goes to China because of the manufacturing. So if you know, if the hundred percent of the profit then ends up going to China, I get it. I just don't know. <laughs> Is that a problem? I 
Well, my my yeah. concern about and it's not a geopolitical one as such about them sort of, you know, taking intellectual property or any of this kind of crap. My my, my biggest concern is like that. Um, yes, China is the biggest trade partner, and we've seen in the past that all of a sudden China or Australia will put up big tariffs against each other, and we have trade wars. And next minute, we're potentially going to be paying twenty thousand dollars for an L two group set because our governments decided to slap a two hundred thousand two hundred percent tax on it because they don't like what China has done politically somewhere else. So. I realise this is not a particularly exciting YouTube chat to have. It's not going to be the title of our video, I would suggest. Geopolitical ramifications of the move towards Chinese brands. But I did want to bring it up because it is it is the elephant in the room when it comes to the ownership of this stuff. Can I just say, the only thing I would add on that is if you want to buy an Australian-made a purely Australian-made frame or bike parts to support the country you live in, I, that's awesome. Like, I don't think that's... I don't have anything against that. But I don't think that's... I don't think they compete. It's like two completely different people that would 100%. support Australian-made versus from China. So Spoiler I, I, alert, I really I'm doing that. Well, I'm su- oh. As a, a frame manufacturer in Brisbane, um, Scott Devlin, he makes uh, steel frames, and I'm going to do that. That's... For future discussion, but yeah, um, yeah. So can I just I go off on a real tangent? Here? Yeah, go for it. A similar vein, Joe. When you, there's obviously like customs or sort of laws you have to follow locally around what you can say, can't say, should do. Do you get like a briefing when you get? Are you a citizen? How how do you know what to, what's not kosher? Uh, so yeah, that's a good, very good question. But no, there there is no briefing like. Uh... So you know, when, when you get off a plane, they don't tell you this is what you can say, this is what you can't say. But so when I first came to China, uh, I actually just came as as lots of experts come to China, like uh, to do like a, a a teaching gig. I was just teaching English, and so part of the training of of uh, of or like the initialization of, into the company is they give you like, okay, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, don't talk about this, and there's the there's the three T's, three words that begin with a T that you're not supposed to. Or it's taboo to talk about, uh, and I'm not. I'm not going to mention them to, 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 just because I'm. Whenever I start talking about them, I start getting twitchy, twitchy in the eyelids and stuff. And then I don't know if my office is bugged, but uh, Joe just suddenly cuts out. Yeah, <laughs> we're like, yeah, we thank Joe for his time. Yeah. Uh, no, but like, uh, it. Uh, yeah. Well, how can I? How can I make this sound, <laughs> sound less weird? <laughs> Um, yeah. If you say anything wrong, we can. You can ask. We'll yeah, just no, no. tell us to cut it yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I think yeah. I, I am. So yeah, there, there are these things that you're not supposed to talk about. But uh, in in general, you get by okay. Like um, I've never, I've never, you know, got a knock at the door and been told you're not allowed to say that or, or anything weird like that. Um, but yeah, there is. You are more aware of what you're saying and stuff. And uh, yeah, like. Uh, Personally, uh, I'm a big advocate for free speech. Uh, I've never, I've never deleted a YouTube comment if that counts. <laughs> if that counts as uh, being an advocate for free speech, and also the place where I live now is not a big fan of free speech, which is a big shame. But I can't talk about it for obvious reasons, um, and it's pretty hard because you know I've had people in my comments on my videos like accuse me of being a puppet for the government here, being a shield, and I'm uh, like I look at it and. 
the people who know me like no you couldn't be further from the truth but i literally mm. there's no way for me to reply to this comment and prove that i'm wrong i can't say oh no f those guys like i i hate those guys too because <laughs> then i'll get then i might get yeah. the knock at the door so it's really frustrating yeah. but you know every 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 place has its advantages and disadvantages right yeah um to go oh, also just to go back to chris's point like i i also totally i agree that people should vote with their wallets like if you don't want to support xyz don't buy it one thing i will say though like for for lots of not lots but for some western brands now you have some of these western brands being bought by like middle eastern like cold uh, you know, huge i can't even say the word cold conglomerate uh who yeah, you know conglomerates yeah mm. like every country has dodgy track records right and uh I think at least with the Chinese stuff, most of the brands are very open about being Chinese. Like they're not trying to hide it, especially with my channel, like we call China cycling. Like um, <laughs> when I'm describing Panda Podium, I'll often say Chinese, but I'll also sometimes say Asian because we also have other products from other Asian brands that we wanna we wanna sell on there. So when I when I describe Panda Podium and I say Asian, it's not because I'm trying to like put the word China under the rug because it's a dirty word. It's just because there are also other good products in the rest of Asia that have potential. Thanks so much for tuning in. A huge thanks, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on. We we really appreciate it. We will certainly do this again. I think we really only scratched the surface of this. Um, so do make sure to share this video on with, with your mates. I think there's a lot in this. We'd love for this to get out to as many people as possible. Obviously, go check out uh, Joe's channel, Psych china cycling and of course his new project panda podium jesse thank you very much for your time as well and uh, we will see you real soon planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 